so hello and welcome to the good the bad and the curious today we're joined by dr brian bizdek uh, brian is a NERC independent research fellow based at the university of bristol brian and i are former colleagues and i'm very excited to have him as a guest on the podcast today to talk about his research so welcome brian and welcome alan as well hello hello Brian's research is primarily focused on understanding aerosol and their fundamental physiochemical properties using experimental techniques to examine single droplets. Um, so for anyone not familiar with, with this field, uh, what are aerosols and why are they? Why is it important that they're studied? Right, so aerosols are um, solid particles or liquid droplets suspended in air. Um, and they're important because they're relevant to a wide range of, of contexts. Probably the most um, timely at the moment has to do with the current pandemic. Uh, where uh, right, we have social distancing measures in place because we can emit aerosols and droplets, um, and that's one vector by which uh, the, the disease is transmitted. Um, and so if we stand far enough apart, we can sufficiently dilute uh, uh, the, the droplets that were the aerosol that we're producing, and a lot of the droplets will settle out to the ground. Um, so that's one area where, where aerosols can have a negative impact. They can also have a positive impact, for instance, um, in, in healthcare contexts, in terms of, of, for instance, if we have asthma inhale, if you have asthma, you might use an asthma inhaler, um, and so that that's an example where 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 aerosols are, are engineered in such a way to deliver uh, medicines and have a positive health impact. Um, other areas where they're important have to do with um, uh, climate um, and and air pollution. So, right, air pollution is is largely controlled by part is an important component is particulate matter. Um, so when you see urban smog, that's that's tiny invisible particles that are um, uh, scattering light and, and reducing visibility and negatively impacting your health. Uh, in terms of climate, aerosols can can cool the, the atmosphere and they serve as the seeds um, for cloud droplets. So if you look at a cloud, each cloud is composed of millions of droplets and each droplet actually formed around a seed, which is an atmospheric particle. So then um, aerosols aren't just droplets, it's covering particulate matter in general then and what so what what kind of size range are we talking about so aerosols can span a wide size range uh going from down down to one nanometer in diameter which is basically a a, a few maybe maybe a couple of molecules stuck together um all the way up to, to several hundred micron which is about the, the width of your hair um so uh, uh when we talk about particulate matter we can talk about that in in various ways um one uh, parameter is is called uh, PM 2.5 or particulate matter that's less than 2.5 micron in diameter. Um, another parameter is PM 10, which is particulate matter that's less than 10 micron or micrometers in diameter. Um, and so, so the difference there is PM 2.5 is generally respirable. PM 10 includes uh, uh, particles that may not be respirable, can still negatively impact your health. Um, and so when we have regulations, they're usually based on PM 10 and PM 2.5. So then you're also covering things like pollen and fungal spores right, and, with, yeah. and with that as well. So, yeah, so, 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 so uh, for instance, pollen and fungal spores are generally larger particles that would be within PM10. Um, those are primary particles. So the, so the really big particles tend to be primary, so emitted directly from, from a source. Um, when you get to smaller particles, those tend to be called secondary. So they come from uh, gas phase molecules that undergo reactions and form uh, new particles. Um, and that's actually where, where a large portion of, of, of the aerosol that contributes to smog comes from is secondary particles. And that's under in the, the, the realm of PM 2.5. So how, so you've just, you maybe touched on it already, but what range of ways are aerosols generated that people might be familiar with? 
yeah, so, so for instance, if you're at the beach um, and you're watching waves crash, right, you've got a little bit of foam and it fizzes and it, and it bursts, so, so you're forming aerosol there. And actually, uh, uh, we call that sea spray, and that's one of the largest sources of aerosol on the planet. Um, another major source is, um, uh, for instance, uh, dust. Um, so so um, when you have, a, you have wind that blows dust off the Sahara Desert, and actually that can transport all the way across the ocean and up into Canada, for instance. Um, and along the way, it helps to fertilize the ocean and, and, and form uh, the seeds for clouds. Um, uh, and and so, so it has important global climate impacts, despite arising from, from a very specific um, uh, uh, location. Um, so those are, those are um, some two, na two natural examples of, of aerosols. Um, in, in, in our environment, um, and then and then an example of anthropogenic aerosol. So human human created aerosol would be urban smog, uh, where we produce a lot of gas phase molecules uh, from from our everyday activities uh, that then undergo reactions in the atmosphere um, and and form uh, small particles that then can uh, in aggregate um, uh, 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 have negative impacts on our health um, and reduce visibility. So what, what affects then the, the range and distribution of aerosols? Uh, so, so in terms of, of, you mean a geographic range? Uh, yes. Uh -huh. So aerosols are, are, are basically everywhere, um, but how far a, a, an individual particle will travel uh, depends on um, a few parameters. So it depends on, um, well, the main parameter is its size. Um, so large particles, um, they're still, you know, when I say large, they're, they're actually still smaller than um, what we can see. So they're still invisible to the eye um, for the most part. Um, but they're large enough that gravity still acts as a main force on it. And so, so the force of gravity helps to, to, to pull those particles out of the air and, and onto the ground. Um, so they, we call that settling out or rain will, will wash it out. Um, small particles, um, those, those particles um, tend to, to, to hang around for, for days uh, for several hours to several days, or maybe even longer, um, and that's because they're small enough that the force of gravity is is, is not large enough to, to counteract uh, the buoyancy of the particle, um, and so so it'll just hang in the air. Yeah, I mean you've touched a little bit on the environment. Um, I'm kind of interested in how you can mimic these environmental conditions in the laboratory. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so uh, what we can do is we can, you know, there, there are different ways that you can do that. One way is to, to create a chamber um, where you basically call that your atmosphere um, and you put in um, molecules that are present in the atmosphere and then watch what happens and with instrumentation measure changes in particle size and, and um, composition and, and other properties. Um, other ways that you can do and what we tend to do is we tend to try to, to, to isolate individual particles. Um, and then we can uh, monitor uh, in real time changes to them. So we can, for instance, uh, if we control the local relative humidity around that particle, that will change the size of the particle. Um, and that's important, for instance, in, in how much uh, sunlight is reflected in the atmosphere um, or, or where if we inhale that particle, where it will deposit within our respiratory tract. Uh, we can also you know, induce reactions and, and, and look at changes in, in, in the composition of that particle. Um, and related to changes in other properties that we can measure. So it's a way of, of, of reducing the, um, the, 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 the broader distribution and measurement that you would get if you're looking at a, a, a packet of particles or a large number of particles where you've got dispersions in size and composition that can kind of muddy the waters. Uh, we're interested in single particle analysis where we can say this is our particle, um, you know, it has this composition, it has this size, and if we change this parameter, 
this is what happens. Um, so in terms of your wider research aims, what are these and how do you plan to achieve these from an experimental perspective? I mean, you've touched a little bit on that with the single particle stuff. Uh, so what, what, what my work has been most interested in at the moment is looking at the surface properties of aerosols. The reason we're interested in their surface properties is several. Um, so if we think about um, um, a beaker of, of water, if we take one liter of water, Right, the surface area there is on the order of, of one one hundredth of a, of, a, of a square centimeter or something like that. Um, if we take that one liter of water and then aerosolize it to produce um, one micron droplets, now the, the amount of surface area that we've produced by forming all of these droplets um, is equivalent is about equivalent to what you get on a, on a football field. Right, so you've got a lot of surface area. And so actually the, the role of the surface is, is a lot more important in aerosols than it is in, in, in kind of bulk solutions or, or bulk liquids that we're, we're generally used to working with. Um, where that plays a role is, for instance, when we um, form clouds, uh, the surface composition of the particle plays an important role in determining how high the barrier is to forming a cloud droplet. So you have to overcome uh, basically a barrier or a hill uh, to, to form that droplet. And, and as we change the surface properties, we can change the height of that, that hill. Um, another area where that's important is just understanding reactivity. Right? because we have a lot of surface area. If, the, if, if a reaction proceeds faster at the, at the, the, the surface of a, of a droplet, um, then that, that we can produce, we can, we can do reactions at a much higher rate um, in aerosol than in bulk. And actually there's, there's a lot of evidence uh, in the last few years to suggest that you can actually get enhancements on the order of 1 million um, uh, in, in, um, in aerosols as opposed to the bulk. Um, and so that, that um, uh, identifies some potential new ways where we can um, do organic chemistry, for instance. Um, and even in, in, in disease transmission and bioaerosol, so, so aerosol that contain biological material, um, it's thought that surface properties can actually play an important role in, in determining how long uh, that, 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 that biological material is viable. So in those types of experiments where you're looking at um, bioaerosol uh, things, so what kinds of, so how do you mimic the conditions you would have from somebody sneezing in an experiment where you're looking at a single droplet, like what kind of solution are you using? How do you know that that is what you would expect? Uh, so so very recently we've been getting involved with, um, as part of the, the, the current situation, um, uh, we've been doing some work looking at um, uh, uh, aerosols that are produced when we talk or when we cough. Um, and so we've been working with these mimics for, for saliva and, and for, for lung fluid. Um, so basically, as I'm talking to you right now, I'm emitting aerosol and I'm emitting droplets. Um, and, and the reason that we need to be, you know, at the moment, two meters apart is because some of those droplets, um, you know, many, most of them will settle out within that two meters. Um, but actually, the, 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 the science that underlies all of that is based on work that was done in the 1930s, um, assuming that these droplets were, were just pure water. And so within two meters, a, a water droplet would fully evaporate. In fact, that's not the case for the aerosol that we're producing. It's got salts in it. It's got um, uh, different um, types of proteins um, and liposomes in it. Um, and so um, as we emit them, you know, as, as, as those droplets evaporate, uh, they are not going to, to completely evaporate. There will still be a particle that, that remains. Um, and so we're doing measurements where we can uh, trap single droplets containing uh, 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 these, these surrogates for, for saliva or for lung fluid. And then if we systematically alter relative humidity, we can we can resolve its um, uh, what we call hygroscopicity, so its response to water, so its size change as we alter humidity. And that's important because when we emit those droplets, 
you know, within our respiratory tract, our relative hum the relative humidity in there is on the order of 99 to 100%. So, yeah. so really, really high. Um, but when we get into the out out into the air, we're, we're dropping down to to maybe 40, 50% relative humidity. Um, and so those droplets are going to shrink, um, and that will have an impact as to to where they where the, what their ultimate fate is. Are they going to settle out, or are they going to to remain airborne for a long period of time and, and transport around? Um, so we're doing measurements where we can resolve those kinds of changes and then plug them into a model um, to try to um, uh, uh, basically figure out uh, what, what you know whether the assumptions that have been made about uh, the, the science underlying social distancing are are are, um, are accurate or not. So the area of, of aerosols is particularly broad because it's capturing things that we've just talked about just to do with um, the sort of the health implications of things as viruses and other diseases which may be transmitted through droplets. Um, you've also got the um, asthma over allergies by the biological aerosol particles and then pollution as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's quite a, a broad range. And then yeah. you mentioned some of the positive aspects of aerosols and being able to use aerosols. Um, so it's definitely a very broad range. Yep, that's what makes it fun. Um, so, so I'm an analytical chemist. So what my interests are in, is is in is in making a measurement that's really hard to make. So aerosols are 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 fun for that because they're really tiny. You can't just, you know, you can't always just collect them. You have to to do some interesting things to try to, to try to make a measurement. Um, so that's the fun part for me. But you go to a conference and you know I'll be one of the few chemists that are there. There'll be lots of engineers, um, uh, biologists. Um, earth and environmental science people, um, uh, people in material science, for instance, pharmaceuticals. Um, and so that's what keeps it interesting is because you're always meeting people in different areas who have different skill sets that they're bringing uh, to the problem. And you learn a lot of, of, of really complementary things. So what do you think is the biggest challenge for the field of aerosol science for the future? Uh, so I think there's there's a few things. Uh, one um, has to do with understanding uh, uh, reactivity in aerosol because we don't have a good understanding of that, um, and it could inform how you know it could change the way that we do organic chemistry. It could change the way that we understand atmospheric processing of pollution. Um, so if we've got you know some toxic pollutant, um, you know we need to understand um, how quickly that will react away to something that might be benign, or how quickly something formed that is toxic um, can get there. Um, and so, so that one part of that is understanding what's what's going on at the interface because the interface is is, is the importance of the interface is magnified um, in aerosol. Um, another um, area has to do with optical properties. Um, so understanding how those properties um, change um, over time um, because the optical properties of aerosols will impact climate. Um, so, so that's the largest uncertainty in climate change. Actually, is understanding the the role of aerosols in in, in modulating uh, the amount of solar radiation that hits the hits the Earth. Um, to balance out the greenhouse gas warming. Uh, and then I think the third one, uh, which is is exemplified by the current situation, is is understanding um, uh, biological viability in aerosols. Mm -hmm. um, you know how how long are are bacteria and viruses viable in aerosols? Uh, simple things that we can do to change that. Um, you know how does humidity affect that? How does temperature affect that? How does um, uh, pollution in the air that's going to get into those particles um, affect that? Um, so that's 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 a third area. Is it well understood in the field of aerosol science 
where different sized particles or droplets will deposit within the respiratory system. Um, so, so right. So, so where aerosol deposits within your respiratory tract depends on the size. The really, really large things will get stuck in your nose. Um, the really, really small ones also will get stuck in your nose for different reasons because they they move around so quickly that they're very likely to to bump into. A, we'll call it a wall, but basically. <laughs> um, then the ones that are kind of in between can make it farther and farther down. So, so when you're in the the hundreds of nanometers, those can make it pretty far down into your respiratory tract. Okay. And then I have my last question here. Uh, what do you think is the biggest challenge working in science? Um, I think the, 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 the biggest challenge is trying to keep, uh, keep, keep an optimistic viewpoint. Um, so so it's, it's not always easy. It's a lot of work. Um, it's very competitive, but it's really rewarding. Um, and, and I think it's, it's trying to keep it fresh and exciting because if you it's something where if you lose your passion for it, um, it really is a calling, um, and if, if 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 you don't have the passion for it, you're not going to enjoy it. Um, and so it's it, so I think that the hard part is just, you know, you, you take a lot of hits, for instance, in funding decisions and whatnot, and or in experiments that just don't seem to work, um, and you just have to really work hard to get yourself back off the ground and back on the horse and try try again. I think this is my favorite question to ask everyone because everybody has a completely different answer about what they think is the biggest challenge. But that was a really good one. Thank you very much, Brian, for joining us today. Thank you for listening to this Andor Technology Podcast. Andor is an Oxford Instruments business specializing in the design and manufacture of market-leading imaging and spectroscopy solutions for the scientific research market. For more information on our products and services, please visit andor.com.